welcome back to Election Day, and Merry Christmas. In this episode, I'm going to talk about an issue that is always brought up by the Republican Party and the religious right in this new Trump era around this time of year, and that's the so-called War on Christmas. That's the notion that secular liberals are waging some kind of cultural war against the Christian holiday and against Christianity and Christian tradition in general. Of course, this is almost comedically absurd. It's one of those examples where it's just so untrue and the target is so silly that it, it just seems ridiculous why Christmas is being politicized and used to provoke fear. But to a lot of people, the war on Christmas is something that they feel to be true and that they believe is true. And so I think it's something that's worth discussing, and it points to this bigger notion of evangelical Christians and their sense of being threatened. So the first thing I'm going to do is let's try to get some context about who are evangelical Christians, or more specifically, as I like to put it, the evangelical right. Who are the evangelical right as a voting bloc? When I talk about this group of people in this episode, what I mean are a lot of these southern white Protestant Christians who are anti-abortion because they believe in the sanctity of life, who are anti-LGBTQ rights because of what it says in the Bible. And we can say until that point, so far so good, okay, even up to prayer in school. But then you have more non-religious positions that they for some reason take on under the guise of Christianity, like, for example, gun rights, or libertarianism and small government. They're a group that also espouses very fierce American nationalism and patriotism. And so what I'm trying to point out in this description is that evangelical Christians are just as much, if not more, a political block than they are a religious block espousing a specific type of Christianity. These are southern white Protestants. These are some of the people who are the most socially conservative, whether for religious reasons or otherwise. Even on an issue like racial integration, the civil rights movement, these people were some of the fiercest opponents, even though that has nothing to do with, and in fact, even seems to go against what their religion might suggest. So really, evangelical Christians aren't, their political stances aren't defined and determined by their religion. In fact, it's the reverse. They use religion to justify their political stances. And they try to claim that their stances are derived from religion. Now, perhaps in my other episodes, in a normal episode, I would end there. I would point out that disconnect between the term evangelical Christian and what they really are, which is just the far right. But today, I'm going to go a step further. Because I cannot accept that 
religion and my religion is being taken as a political token, is being abducted for something that it really does not represent. So I am going to, in fact, push back on, I'm going to say that this is wrong, that Christianity is being used in this way. The first part of the irony and utter hypocrisy in the far religious right starts with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a very, very strange figure for Republicans, for Christian Republicans, to be standing behind. He is someone who mocks Christians in private. He is someone who almost everyone accepts as having very low moral character, very low moral dignity. On sex and marriage, which are topics that the religious right are very sensitive about, well, Donald Trump has had three wives and tons of extramarital affairs. But it seems that the far religious right are willing to turn a blind eye to this. What's crazy is that even when Donald Trump runs against very religious candidates, we know that Joe Biden is a devout Catholic who often quotes his faith in public. We know that Hillary Clinton ran a Bible study group in Arkansas. Even still, the evangelical right are willing to say that Trump is somehow the religious candidate. I would go as far to argue, though, that Donald Trump is the most anti-Christian person that you could possibly find. Two weeks ago, I talked about how Trumpism is the politics of fear and anger and hatred. Why are Christians embracing this candidate? Another thing that's strange is that Donald Trump has a sort of savior mentality that he is almost a second Jesus. It really just is a cult of personality on a wide scale. I'll say it for what it is. There was a Daily Show clip in which one of their correspondents, Jordan Klepper, went out to a Trump rally. And then one of the people he interviewed said, if Jesus came back to Earth today and said not to vote for Donald Trump, I'd say I'd have to ask my president about that. And to me, it's so strange that for people who are Christians, for people who are religious, for people who accept Jesus as their savior, that they're almost turning to a person in the real world. They're turning to Donald Trump when their faith would not direct them to a person in this world other than Jesus. As I read in an article somewhere, it almost makes me question then is this evangelical right-wing version of Christianity broken? If Donald Trump, the most anti-Christian person in my eyes, is the flag bearer for this version of Christianity, then surely it must be broken. It must be some other sect of Christianity, the church of Donald Trump, that isn't in line with the mainstream religion, the religion itself. Because to me, Christianity is a religion that endorses love, not hatred, that endorses tolerance and care for the least of us. I think this is the kind of thing the Bible might have even warned us against. Donald Trump is sowing divisions in the church. He is co-opting Christianity. 
Donald Trump is a real-life false prophet that we are seeing before our eyes. Donald Trump is, in a way, a kind of extension of televangelism, where you have priests telling people to give money to them so that they can get a reward from Christ. Trump is sort of like that in the sense that he is taking religion and using it to get people's votes. He's using Christianity for his purpose, for his interests. And when I see how he is misleading so many on the evangelical right wing of Christianity into this new kind of church of Donald Trump, I sometimes feel that these Christians who say they are voting for Trump, even though they acknowledge that he is not someone of great moral dignity, I often feel that they're not supporting him in spite of his hatred, but because of his hatred. That was also on a couple articles I read here and there. But so many of these white Christians at Donald Trump's rallies when they're cheering and jeering at when he's insulting people, when he's being crude and showing his bigotry at full strength, they're not tolerating his hatred. They're not measuring and saying, well, at least he'll support our stances on, let's say, abortion. No, they're cheering because he is appealing to their worst instincts. They are cheering for his hatred. One of the things that strikes me as being so strange about the religious right, and I think that also strikes a lot of other people, Christian liberals like me, is that their stance on abortion does not align with pretty much all of their other stances. They say that they're pro-life, right? That they believe in the sanctity of human life and that's why abortion is bad. But then you see that once the baby is outside of the womb, they tend to not really care. These are the same people who often say we should keep the death penalty around. These are the same people who often say, black people, tough luck, just you're bad, I don't care. So even when it does come to abortion, even when it does start with the goodwill of wanting the baby to have his or her life, it often then turns into hatred of the mother. It seems that pro-life is a stance that ends at birth. Or then, for example, Christianity is a religion that does believe heavily in charity, right? In helping others. Then why do those on the religious right always have such strict stances against government spending, against social welfare, for those who need it the most. That seems strange. So even though evangelical Christians, the far religious right, even though a lot of their stances are in fact based somewhat on the Bible, I would say in a lot of other ways, they are the most anti-biblical group of voters, in that they take advantage of religion to justify their own stances, even when, and often when, those stances are hateful stances, stances that might go against the Christian principle of love your neighbor.
there's a really good quote I found online from The Office actor Rain Wilson, who played Dwight Schrute, about how strange it is that the character of Jesus, the figure of Jesus and Christianity as a whole, has been changed into backing these very random right-wing stances that have nothing to do with religion itself. So here it is. It's the metamorphosis of Jesus Christ from a humble servant of the abject poor to a symbol that stands for gun rights, prosperity theology, anti-science, limited government that neglects the destitute, and fierce nationalism is truly the strangest transformation in human history. It really is the strangest transformation in human history. Let me put it this way. If Jesus was alive today, he would be totally ostracized and criticized by the religious right. Because Jesus actually several times went against the specific rules in Jewish tradition to better serve the Christian spirit as a whole, that principle of bringing love and light into the world. Yet, because the religious right has such a strong emphasis on rules from the Bible, Jesus would be ostracized for that. Jesus cared for marginalized people, people that society as a whole thought were dirty. Jesus mingled with them. That's why he was such a great person. And yet the religious right seems not to care about the marginalized and the least of us. In fact, they seem intent on marginalizing these people. And that's why you'll see so much cheering and jeering at Trump rallies with white Christians in the audience. It's hard to argue that these people are protectors of the marginalized. They are the people who are doing the oppressing. So if Jesus was alive today, he would certainly not be on their side, because he would be defending the weak. So that and so many other ways show that truly the religious right aren't the people who stand with Christianity. In the New Testament, there are so many Bible verses where Jesus calls for giving money to the poor who are struggling, who are starving, who need it the most. He criticizes the rich so often. If that happened today, the religious right would be calling him a socialist, someone who is along the lines of Bernie Sanders and proposes redistribution. He definitely wouldn't be part of this anti-Hispanic rhetoric. He would, as he did in the Bible, stand with the most vulnerable. So what this really points to is that being an evangelical Christian is just another political identity. And in the Trump era, being an evangelical right-wing Christian has unfortunately pretty much meant being a Trumper. They're basically tying and extending these two strands together, being a social conservative and being a Christian. There is almost no causal relationship there. 
and normally I would be okay with this fusion. I wouldn't be this relentless in attacking it because, of course, I do like to be more analytical. I don't like going after people, but the issue I have with this fusion is that it distorts Christianity. It forces and changes Christianity to align with their other interests, with their other stances. And going back to the war on Christmas, it has a lot less to do with an actual threat on religious freedom than it does to identity, to identity politics and through fear politics, like I talked about two weeks ago, the politics of fear, of creating a perceived threat, of tribalism. And I'm going to talk about this more in later episodes, but grievance conservatism, as a New York Times article put it very well, grievance conservatism is the idea that right-wingers are always being threatened. They're way of life is always under attack from liberal elites, and they're always being wronged, even if that's not necessarily the case. But still, fear is a very powerful weapon. But I can't stand that religion is being used to provoke that emotion. Religion is nothing less than an excuse to continue supporting what they already support, even if what they support actually goes directly against religious principles. To me, this issue of the evangelical right is analogous to the issue of the Confederacy in the South. You have people saying, we're American patriots, we're proud of our country, make America great again. So you have these self-proclaimed patriots, but then you have the exact same people waving Confederate flags rather than American ones, who are saying, we're proud of our Southern heritage. Even though, when you think about it for even two seconds, there's so much irony because the Confederacy fought against the Union. And yet, how do these people who claim to be patriots, how are they waving the stars and bars? To me, as you know by now, as someone who identifies as a progressive Christian, I think I was drawn to the Democratic Party, drawn to liberalism and progressivism rather than towards conservatism, is because it aligns much more with the Christian moral values that I was taught. Of course, mainstream liberalism does not align with mainstream Christianity in a lot of different ways, most notably the abortion issue, but I do think as a whole, the Christian spirit that you learn in church, that your religion is a religion of inclusivity, of love, of hope, unfortunately in America, that's a principle that I can only find on the left wing or at least in the Trump era, on the anti-Trump wing. Of course, this isn't to suggest that if you're a Christian, you have to be a liberal. It's very much possible to be a conservative who supports Republican policies, but still has strong Christian values, 
And I hope in this episode I haven't been too critical of the religious right or have been too generic in saying that everyone who's a conservative and also a Christian is hypocritical. I don't mean to imply that. But I do have a big problem with, in America, the Republican Party being the de facto party of religion. Because I think the parties have certain strengths when it comes to Christianity on different fronts. The Republican Party seems to be a bit more Old Testament in that it focuses heavily on sin and what not to do, whereas the Democratic Party seems to be more aligned with the New Testament in the message of inclusion. And also the fact that Jesus and New Testament figures politically would be described as changing the status quo figures with an emphasis on social justice. And so the two political parties in the U.S. sort of represent the tension even within the Bible, with the Republican Party having a bit more of an Old Testament tone and the Democratic Party having a bit more of a New Testament tone. If you don't know a lot about that, hopefully you can look that up. But anyways, the point I want to make in this episode is that religion should not necessarily be a partisan issue. Conservatives and the Republican Party should not be the party of Christianity, and the religious right does not represent Christianity. On so many fronts, they are actively going against the principles of the religion that I believe in. The religion you see at Trump rallies is something altogether different from Christianity. I think this Bible verse encapsulates what I've talked about in this episode so well. This is 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. This is a verse that's quoted very often. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And my issue that I've talked extensively about today is that faith all Christians have, but hope is something I don't see in a lot of the far religious right because of the politics of fear that makes everything pessimistic and angry, and love because the politics today, especially on the far religious right, has become so driven by hatred. Not tolerating hatred, but because of hatred. So this Christmas and going into the new year, Christian or not, I hope that we all carry hope and love with us into, of course, our personal, but also political lives. That our stances aren't driven by fear and pessimism and anger and hatred. As I wrap up, I want to give two quick examples. The first is Martin Luther King Jr. when he was fighting for civil rights in the South. He was a pastor, but the people, the white people in the South, the segregationists that he was fighting against, well, a lot of people on that side too were Christians. And yet, when we look back, when we look back at that period in time, 
I hope at least that we all recognize that Martin Luther King Jr. was on the right side of history, and also on the right side of religion, because he embodied hope and love in a way that segregationists certainly did not. They were incredibly violent and incredibly hateful. The second example is Reverend Raphael Warnock in the state of Georgia. He's currently competing against Senator Kelly Leffler for the Georgia runoff Senate seat that will determine control of the U.S. Senate. And despite ad campaigns that paint him as a radical liberal, which, by the way, weirdly, it seems to those on the far religious right, radical is the opposite of Christian, but anyways, um... Despite heavy fear-mongering spending, Reverend Warnock has been pushing a message that I really like. Basically, he's pushing the message that I've talked about in this episode, love your neighbor. And as he said at, at a debate, loving your neighbor means not taking away their health care. So I hope that it's that version of Christianity, or something more like it, than the current version on the Trumper right, or one more like Joe Biden's Christianity that he so often mentions. I hope that's the version that we carry forward into the future of America. I know this episode was incredibly opinionated and a bit preachy. Hopefully it didn't make you feel uncomfortable, but next week I'll be right back to the nitty-gritty analyzing the two Georgia Senate runoffs coming up on January 5th. So come back next week, and thank you for listening.